My name is Greta Thunberg. I am 15 years old and I'm from Sweden. I speak on behalf of Climate Justice Now. Many people say that Sweden is just a small country and it doesn't matter what we do. But I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. And if a few children can get headlines all over the world just by not going to school, then imagine what we could all do together if we really wanted to. But to do that, we have to speak clearly, no matter how uncomfortable that may be. You only speak of green, eternal economic growth because you are too scared of being unpopular. You only talk about moving forward with the same bad ideas that got us into this mess, even when the only sensible thing to do is pull the emergency brake. You are not mature enough to tell it like it is. Even that burden you leave to us children. But I don't care about being popular. I care about climate justice and a living planet. You're listening to the podcast Advancing Sustainable Solutions, where we make sustainability research tangible for the everyday person. This podcast is produced by the IIIEE at Lund University. This episode is hosted by Stephen Curtis, together with a special guest host. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Now, for those following the most recent global climate negotiations in December, the speaker you just heard may be familiar. Her name is Greta Thunberg, speaking at COP24 in Poland, which was held December 3rd through the 14th, 2018. Now, Greta is a 16-year-old young person from Sweden who's taken the internet by storm, speaking truth to power. She has inspired young and old people alike from around the world to partake in globally orchestrated strikes using the hashtag Fridays for Future. Her inspiration has even reached here at the IIIEE. Myself, along with staff and students, have now joined weekly strikes outside the City Hall here in Lund. In August 2018, Ms. Thunberg decided to not attend school and instead stand outside of the Swedish parliament in order to bring attention to climate change and demand that the Swedish government seek to reduce carbon emissions as committed to in the Paris Agreement. She says, why bother going to school to think about my future when I don't have one? And Greta, she's not alone. Across the world, people are marching out of school to participate in globally coordinated school walkouts to demand action on climate change. These walkouts have included more than 20,000 students in at least 270 cities around the world. In today's episode, we want to acknowledge and appreciate the voices and action of youth from around the world. We want to inspire more youth to take a stand and encourage all of us to be more supportive and inclusive of those that seek to engage in climate action. When I think about what hinders me in becoming more bold, it's often fear. It is the fear of not knowing enough. It's the fear of not having the right experience or not being able to say the right thing at the right time. Based on our own personal experience, we wanted to produce an episode that both acknowledges the courage and action of youth while supporting all of us in acquiring the knowledge necessary to meaningfully engage in climate action. 
As such, today's episode is a crash course on COP, with reflections on youth involvement in these negotiations. That's why I'm really excited and proud to be joined in studio today uh, with Carmen. So Carmen's a master's student here at the IIIE in our MESPOM program. She also attended COP24 in Poland. Welcome, Carmen. Hi, Steven. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being here, stepping in for Sophie as guest host in today's episode. Uh, maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit more to our listeners. Of course. Uh, my name is Carmen Guidobro, a 24-year-old Spaniard coming from Madrid. And I have been interested in environmental issues for as long as I can remember. Uh, for example, I was already subscribed to WWF magazines for children by the age of five. Uh, reading all the issues related to deforestation or biodiversity loss, although climate change was not in the picture yet. I guess that really marked me as I studied environmental science at the university in Madrid. And after my Erasmus exchange in the Netherlands, in Wageningen, I decided to leave the focus on science behind and then focus more on the decision-making processes. And that's, that's how I ended in doing my master in, in Lund, actually focusing on environmental management decisions at business and policy level. And besides that, I think I'm very creative with a passion for communication. So in my free time, I always try to mix both sides of me as I am doing here, I guess. Yeah, very cool. Well, we're happy to have you. Uh, maybe can you tell us a little bit more about the master's program that you're currently part of here in Lund? Sure. So it is an Erasmus Mundus joint master's degree in environmental science policy and management, also known as MESPOM, and it's carried out for four European universities. So we start in Budapest at the Central European University until spring, and then we move to Greece to the University of the Aegean in Lesbos to finally divide ourselves between Manchester and Lund according to our preferences. So that's why I'm here at the IIIE. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it sounds like such a cool opportunity. Um, I know one thing that I've learned as being a student here in Lund is the overabundance of acronyms, yes? So you mentioned that you're part of the MESPOM program. Uh, our institute is the IIIE. Uh, and of course, I know that you take courses here at the institute called uh, ARPEA and SED. It's a little bit like alphabet <laughs> soup. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's such a mess. Um, but it's also true that sometimes those names are simply too long. So it happens a lot at the IIIE, but also in the sustainability world. Uh, think about it. SDGs, FAO, IPCC, COP. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as if we need a course specifically just to deal <laughs> yeah. with all the acronyms and sustainability. Uh, and luckily, that's <laughs> what we want to do with today's episode. Um, <laughs> nice. Today, we're going to focus on COP, or Conference of the Parties, uh, as the acronym means. Um, and I know, Carmen, in December, you actually had the opportunity to attend yeah. COP24 in Poland. I have to tell you, I have so many questions, and I'm really excited to hear about your thoughts and experiences uh, while you were there. Yeah, I'm very excited to share all these thoughts with you, too, and with everyone that is listening to our podcast. what is COP, or Conference of the Parties. And uh, luckily, Carmen, you were there, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more, what is COP exactly? Okay, Stephen, stay with me. COP is basically a big conference where countries, companies, and NGOs from around the world meet to discuss and negotiate global climate-related issues. Okay. COP stands for the Conference of the Parties, and it consists of representatives from the parties or countries to the convention. 
Stephen, maybe you have heard of the UNFCCC? Yes, heard of this. Okay, this stands for the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. More acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> it is the parts to this convention, which was adopted in 1994, that meet at COP. The objective of the UNFCCC is to stabilize greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere at a level that will prevent dangerous anthropogenic interference with the climate system. So it holds its sessions every year, where parties take decisions which are necessary to ensure the effective implementation of this objective. And uh, I certainly followed the news last December regarding COP24, um, but I didn't actually understand why it was called COP24. Maybe that's something you can elaborate on. Sure. So COP24 is, well, it's a lot easier to say than the 24th Conference of the Paris to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Okay, I can agree. That's a mouthful. COP24 <laughs> is a lot easier. Exactly. So COP24 is the informal name and it is used and known by most people. So this is the 24th Conference of the Paris, hence okay. COP24. And this year was hosted on Poland. COP23 was in Bonn, COP22 was in Marrakesh, and COP21 in Paris. Yeah. It was at COP21 in Paris where the Paris Agreement was adopted and later signed by 195 countries. The aim of the Paris Agreement is to keep the increase in global average temperature to way below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, with the ambition to limit this increase to 1.5 only. Uh, okay, so now we understand COP, we understand UNFCCC, and now I guess it's good that we know that the Paris Agreement was born out of uh, COP21 in Paris. I know that you recently attended COP24 in Poland. I'm curious, who actually ends up attending COP? Who did you meet while you were there? That's a very good question. <laughs> I have some numbers for you on that, actually. According to a provisional list published by the UNFCCC, there were... 22,771 registered participants at COP. This included 13,898 people representing parties to the convention, 7,321 from observer organizations, which includes scientists, business groups, NGOs, and actually me, I was an observer, <laughs> and 1,541 journalists. Uh, okay, so last question in our crash course in COP. What exactly happens at COP? <laughs> That's also a very, very good question. Um, for the past three years, policymakers and experts have been working towards the conference culmination to develop a rulebook completing the Paris Agreement of 2015. This rulebook will provide guidance to countries to meet their nationally determined contributions as well as suggest enforcement mechanisms if countries fail to uphold their commitments. If we now discuss what happened at COP24, I have mixed feelings, but here are some key takeaways that I would like to highlight. One, the parties agreed on highly contested elements of the rulebook, including how governments will measure, report, and verify their emissions cutting efforts. And this is good. Um, it is the first step at holding countries accountable to meet their commitments. Two, the parties also discuss climate finance concerning how much finance they will contribute as well as how to report it. 3. There was a setback regarding the carrot credit scheme. 
So Brazil insisted on changing the previously agreed carbon credit scheme designed to reward countries for their carbon cutting efforts. Four, missing from the discussions was the need to step up current emission reduction targets in order to stay below the 1.5 degrees Celsius target. Unfortunately, based on the current commitments made by all countries, the world is set for three degrees of warming from pre-industrial levels, well above the 1.5 target. Finally, five, next year, COP25 will take place in Chile to finalize the rulebook and hopefully return to some of these discussions surrounding finance, a carbon credit scheme, and increasing countries' commitments to fulfill the Paris Agreement. Okay, Carmen, we've heard a lot about what is COP. Now I want to hear a little bit about your experiences while there. Now, I said I have a lot of questions for you, but unfortunately, I don't think we have enough time to cover them all. So maybe just a few for our listeners. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay. Yeah. So I'm curious, actually, why did you attend a COP? What was the, how was the opportunity presented to you that you actually got to, to go and, and participate? Well, as an environmental student, I was very happy when this organization that I went with, the Young European Leadership, offered the opportunity to attend as a way to increase the presence of youth and to be able to write down your reflections and interview people in the field. So it was a huge opportunity to see what I am studying and learn from what people are doing. Uh, okay, so you arrive in Poland, you're there for COP. Walk us through it. What was it like? Well, it was giant. That's the first thing I thought. It was so crowded, full of people. Then you had this huge meeting hall and then these thousands of corridors and thousands of stands from every country, but also every NGO and even some businesses. But it was giant. I will say that's the, that's the word. So in the context of attending with the Youth European Leadership Organization, what was your role? What, would, what did you do while you were at COP? I was an observer. And what so, does that mean exactly? With that status means basically, as it sounds, you can observe. You are not allowed to intervene, but you can go to some of the big meetings and sit on the back and just listen. And you can also go around freely to any side events that you want. Okay, so how has the experience impacted you? What did you bring home from your time at COP? Well, I have to say that the first days were very overwhelming. As I told you, it was so big and so crowded that it was really difficult to follow what was going on. Then I was able to meet other young people and also some organizations that were there to help us. And after that, I was able to follow more and realize that you cannot follow everything and it's better to just focus on one storyline or one topic and just follow that. And then, as I said before, I have mixed feelings because on one hand, you see many organizations and many professionals trying to do the right thing and actually doing it because you can see what they are doing and that's super nice. But on the other hand, you see many incongruencies. First of all, it is an event. So as any event, you can see publicity, you can see free stuff. We had these bags full of stuff, which is a nice idea, but it's not necessary. We're trying to save resources, so I really don't know why we have all these free stuff and materials all around. Also about food, we had meat. 
everywhere. It was actually weird to find vegan stuff. And it's a conference about climate, so I really didn't understand why they didn't think about this issue. Also, there is a huge polemic about Poland and coal. We had the coal stand in the Polish stand, so that was weird. And many people were angry about it. So I guess COP has a way to go working on these issues. But of course, you also met some people there who were actively engaging in issues around climate change. Um, you were able to interview a few people for the podcast. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about uh, some of the people you interviewed. Exactly. So the first person I interviewed was Sol Bauer, who is the brand manager of Climate Reality Project in Europe. So he has plenty of experience working towards communications and specifically now with climate change communications. My name is Jolt Bauer. And what do you work on? Uh, I'm the branch manager of uh, the Climate Treaty Europe, which was originally founded by uh, former Vice President Al Gore. By now it's a global uh, initiative, having 10 branches around the planet on, on top of the US operations. And uh, the story is very simple that Al Gore realized and the team realized that there is a power in this movement. Uh, it's a good investment for the future. As, as you work with the youth, we also believe that, that starting from a very early age, uh, let's say even in the primary school, there is a role for the, for the next generation to understand the science, the impacts, and also the solutions. So that is what we would like to do uh, to, to support all these uh, efforts uh, on every level of the society. Can you tell me from maybe your personal uh, opinion or the, your organization opinion, what do you expect on this COP? What do you expect that it, the outcome will be? Well, uh, the Paris Agreement is empty without without the the rule book. So obviously that is the the, the top priority. It's, it's difficult to explain for for uh, uh, the outside world uh, that that okay we have the agreement, uh, all countries sign. We are happy that there are pledges already in the system, uh, but we we have to be able to follow what is the the reality. So what 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 are the numbers and then compare it with the pledges. And without those uh, rules that uh, here we are waiting for, it's it's impossible. So uh, that is, I think, that one of the top priorities. And the second one is to understand and to make uh, to make it obvious for everybody here and outside of this this uh, huge complex of this, this building that that uh, the current pledges are too weak. So we must raise our ambitions, as it was said by the Prime Minister of Fiji, uh, that we we must raise our ambitions five times to get to the 1.5 degree Celsius target. And also, what is what is the, the most important message of IPCC report? That if we do not act now, if we miss the, the opportunity, then we lock in uh, the, the 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 impacts for the deck for the next decades. So it's not something that we have to start working and and creating strategies how how we will do it. No, we have to start immediately uh, to decide to make uh, tough decisions, but also at the same time uh, decisions that that will lead us into a new future, a more prosperous, healthier, uh, better life. Uh, style uh, future uh, without the fossil fuels. Yeah. What, what 
what do you think is the reason why this is so slow? Like, why is this taking so long with just endless conversation, <laughs> endless discussion? And it's a really hard question, but... No well, uh, I, my, my, my background is communications, and, and uh, if you open the any medium like a, a newspaper or a website or a, a social media channel then then you can see evidences of the climate change so you can see the polar bears you can see melting ice uh, you can see a lot of uh, uh, issues but i don't think that it is connected in the heads of of the citizens that there is a solution because if, if it's just again one article in a newspaper, one article in a, a blog on a social media, that's okay, but it will reach only those ones who are already converted. So that's that's the issue. And and you had a question about uh, the the role of the the youth. I will not tell names, but I, I heard an amazing story. And the story is that uh, you know the sustainable development goals. I'm sure. And uh, the sustainable development goals were, were somehow created in 2013-14. It was done in New York through a, an open working group, which was led uh, by Hungary and, and uh, Kenya. Uh, the two embassies uh, that are in New York were responsible for organizing the content, for uh, having the, the discussions, for managing the, the uh, the dialogue around uh, the sustainable development goals. And the country said that, well, we believe that this climate issue shouldn't be among the SDGs because it's so complicated and there is UNFCCC that, that already works on it. So why on earth we should integrate uh, climate change into the sustainable development goals? And the one who was responsible for it uh, was a, a strong advocate of having an, an, a goal like climate change among the SDGs. And he couldn't make it happen. And uh, he went home, obviously he, he lived there with, with uh, his family, and he started a conversation with uh, his 16-year-old uh, daughter. And. Uh, he, he, he said that oh, the, the negotiations are uh, going uh, into the wrong direction. Uh, countries are against uh, a target on uh, an individual target on, on uh, uh, the climate change. And, and this young uh, girl said that, Dad, uh, they don't have the right. That, that's, that's the message. Uh, and obviously there were some stronger words, but uh, that, that, that they don't have the right uh, to take our future uh, because of, of their, their stupidity or, or because they, they, they don't think it's, it's, it's necessary. It's our right, it's our future, so climate change must be one of the goals of the Sustainable Development Goal. So this gentleman next day went back to uh, the UN and he said, listen, I would like to uh, have a minute uh, without the microphones and without, without the, the minutes and, and recording it. So listen to the message of my daughter. And this was the change, this was the, the, the minute when, when the, the situation changed and then countries accepted to have climate change as a goal in the, among the SDGs. Our next interview was with two people actually, Katie Robbins and Jamie Wiley from the 2050 Climate Group which is a Scotland's youth climate charity 
run by a network of over 60 young professionals across the country. The 2050 Climate Group aims to equip young people with a knowledge of climate change and leadership skills so they can lead the transition to a sustainable, low-carbon society. Hello, my name is Katie Robbins. And I'm Jamie Wiley. And we're from the 2050 Climate Group, which is uh, Scotland's youth-led charity. It's basically a collection of young professionals from across the country working in every sector um, and we aim to basically educate, empower and engage with other young professionals across Scotland to actually take a lead on climate change regardless of what sector they work in so that they can actually take a lead um, and encourage action on climate change. And as an organisation what do you expect out of this COP? I think from the 2050 perspective, maybe um, kind of seeing what else is out there in terms of other youth organisations across different countries. Um, and so far I've seen there have been quite a lot of organisations, but also we're quite unique in what we do in um, yeah, engaging with young people from every sector. And that's been quite nice to see, but also it'd be good to uh, see if maybe other people saw what we were doing and could maybe maybe do similar things in different countries. Yeah, I would say we're kind of the only organisation that's doing this like across the world, basically. This sort of, uh, I should say, the main focus uh, of what we do is this thing called the Young Leaders Development Programme, and this is kind of how we implement, um, yeah, how we encourage young people to actually act on climate change. So we give them the skills necessary to take action on climate change, give them leadership skills, give them the understanding of climate change and how it relates to their sector and their lives. Um, yeah, and as far as we're aware, we're kind of the only organisation that's doing this um, from a youth led perspective anyway. So I hope we can actually potentially encourage some people to kind of look at how they can replicate this elsewhere because I think it's got quite a big potential um, to actually yeah, be implemented on a wider scale. Are you going to talk with some delegates from your country? Well, Katie actually met uh, Scotland's First Minister wow. uh, two days ago. Yeah, um, got a selfie with her. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was only um, a brief meeting, but our government has been involved in what we do in 2050. In our last summit, we actually had the First Minister come along to show her support for what we do. And so there is a lot of support from the Scottish government into what we do, especially in Scotland's aim to decarbonise. Are you going to go big and spread in other countries or are you going to send a message to other similar organisations to influence them or inspire them into doing the same? Well, this has been quite a big year for us. Um, we've actually kind of expanded out internationally. Um, we have recently launched a project, uh, it's a collaboration between the 2050 Climate Group, uh, the Scottish Government and the Malawi-Scotland Partnership. So we're currently working with a group of young people in Malawi and basically helping to give young people in Malawi uh, more of an opportunity to create change in their local communities and take action on climate change. Um, Malawi is a country which, uh, you know, for Scotland, um, the impacts of climate change aren't really there yet in many cases, but for Malawi, it's a country where those impacts are starting to be felt already, so it's a much more pressing issue for Malawi. Um, also, Malawi has got um, about 60% of its population are under the age of 24, so young people have a big part to play and they need to be part of the decision-making processes. Good. <laughs> wow, okay, I'm impressed. Um, 
Okay, just now to conclude, how do you see the presence of youth engaged in this kind of negotiations or in general in the events at the COP? Um, I have seen a lot of youth here and especially um, the presence of Greta Thunberg as well has um, yeah, is, is encouraged a lot of youth to actually come forward and um, you know take an interest in this issue but also you know feel motivated to act because really it is the youth who are going to feel the impacts of climate change the most which has really boosted a, a lot of activity and I've actually been impressed to see there are many well, activities which are especially yet yeah, organised for use in mind it would be good if there was more I guess collaboration between the activities organised for youth and the negotiations because at the moment it seems like they're kind of not always, but most of the time they seem to be separate things, and it'd be good to see if that was more, more organised. Yeah, I would agree. I think there clearly has been some efforts to kind of involve young people in, in COP, and there's I've seen just, just, from, uh, just from today, there's been quite a few sort of side events which are specifically oriented at, um, at young people and giving them a voice, but I think it's still perhaps a little bit too superficial, and there needs to be kind of a better integration and actually letting young people be part of these decision-making processes. Um, given that young people today are going to be the ones that are going to have to both feel the impact of climate change but also deal with the impact of climate change as well. And I think we, yeah, as an event, there needs to be better integration there. Yeah. Just to add on to that as well, um, it's also, I've been struck about how much of an emotional time it is. Like it's become, it's come past the point where it's just kind of empty talk and, you know, people are just making... Um, yeah just talking about the problem like you know young people are actually quite angry about it and that's something I've not really seen before it's like an angry and emotional approach to climate change which I think is quite good in that it gets across the problem if done in the right way mm -hmm. yeah, yeah just seeing the attention that Greta Thunberg has got the young Swedish girl it's just incredible like she's like the star of COP and she's like this 15 year old girl who's <laughs> yeah. just like had enough had enough of it and yeah. like, I think that yeah that's such a strong message and it's clear that like people aren't just going to sit back and let this happen like I really liked her message yesterday about like changes coming regardless and politicians need to get on board with that because it's coming and they need to be ready for that so I don't know no just really to finish I don't know if you're following the negotiations uh, what's your feeling about that do you think as you said this again more talking talking and no action because they are talking about strengths, ambition and those things but I don't know what do you think about so far um, I've talked to a couple of people in COP and um, I'm wondering if you know because we're in the first week it's still kind of building up and people are still realising the actual scale of the problem they have to tackle before um, yeah, the actual negotiations start but it is clear that you know people are recognising that it is an issue that is going to start you know, impacting livelihoods of yeah the countries they're representing. So it's becoming a lot more urgent. Yeah, I think you know over the past couple of years, like there has been an increased urgency from governments, um, but there's still a complete mismatch between what we need to be doing and what is actually happening. Um, and governments are very good at 
talking the talk. <laughs> They're not very good at walking the walk. I think you just need to go to some of the stalls here, the various countries around the world, the stalls they've got, they're very keen to promote certain things that they're doing well and completely ignoring all the things they're doing not so well. Um, so I think, yeah, there's still a complete mismatch and, yeah, a lack of urgency. And just the one talk I went to this morning, um, it was a scientist who was working with the IPCC in the most recent report, and he was saying that um, if we continue our current emissions, uh, rate of emissions for the next 10 years, our opportunity to limit warming to 1.5 degrees is over. 10 years. And I still think governments haven't really grasped the urgency of this. And we need to be seeing these decisions being taken now. Um, and yeah, really going for it as fast as we can. And that's clearly not there. Uh, great. Thanks, Carmen, for your insights on COP and the interviews you conducted there. I think uh, it is important that we're having these discussions about youth involvement and responsibility in climate action. Uh, so now, Carmen, we've reached the end of the episode. This is where Sophie and I normally would uh, share some thoughts on the topic of this month's episode. Uh, will you do the honors? What would you like to share with our listeners? Of course. Well, I would like to encourage youth and future professionals in all fields, not only in the environmental one, to keep fighting climate change and start the action as Greta Thunberg is encouraging all of us. Also, we need to continue to talk and discuss about climate with as many people as possible, including family, friends, colleagues. Youth have an important role to play in driving these discussions. And lastly, I would like to speak to people in positions of leadership and senior professionals. Perhaps those can mentor young people or allow for transfer of skills between generations. Um, when you exchange views with someone with more experience in any professional field, you learn so much. Actually, it is incredible how much we can learn from each other. Good. Uh, and if I were to share some, some parting thoughts uh, from my end, as a PhD student and a teacher, you know, what I think is the most important thing is actually education. Education is vital to the functioning of a flourishing democracy. We must listen to each other. We must listen to each other, especially with different viewpoints from us. Uh, but we also must be able to think for ourselves, think critically about the information that's presented to us as truth, and be able to understand any underlying motivation that someone would have for conveying that information. And I think that there's a lot of opportunities for youth to seek out that education, uh, whether it's through our two master's programs here at the Institute. You can join Carmen and, and many people like her. Um, but there are also other ways of seeking the right education and experience. It's never too late to learn from others. It's never too late to challenge yourself in new ways. And this is something that I think we all can continue uh, to do in our lives. So once again, I want to thank Carmen for guest hosting with me on this month's episode of the podcast. Uh, and of course, for your efforts in researching and interviewing um, for the episode. And, and of course, thanks to Jolt and Katie and Jamie for agreeing to be interviewed for this episode. And remember, you can find more information about the podcast at our website, triple backslash podcast. Next month, we have an exciting special episode for you, a field piece. We're really excited to share it with you. So stay tuned for our next episode coming to you in March. So with that, Carmen, let's uh, say goodbye. Yes, thank you so much for having me. And I hope everybody likes this podcast. <laughs> I hope we will. I know we will. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.